right, so let's dive into the Word of God. Um, we are going to begin a sermon series called The End Times. Okay, all right. I just want to get your reaction of how things are going here. Um, if you are in church for the first time here, and if you haven't been around church uh, environment a lot, you are probably thinking, well, there goes another guy. He's going to say, the world is ending. Give me all your money. I am not going to say that. I promise you that. If you're in church surroundings a lot, some people I see that, ooh, they're getting excited. He's going to connect all the world events, and he's going to connect all the prophecies. I'm going to pull out a map and a chart. Definitely not. I'm not going to do that as well. Um, since we are all from different backgrounds and different church up upbringings, different culture, I'm going to give you some handholds as we climb through this topic for the next three weeks. Okay, So we're going to make some um, basic uh, foundations on which we can climb up. Okay, So the fundamental... Okay, before I jump in. End times. In Greek, ancient Greek, it's called eschatos. That's where the word comes, eschatology, the study of the last things, right? So if you were hear the word eschatology, don't get, ooh, that's something so good. No, it's just end times in, in ancient Greek, right? So the fundamental belief of Christianity is that just like God created the universe, just like God created the mankind, there will be a time where God will end the history. The history will come to a point of completion, to an end. So we are not just spinning pointlessly in the universe. I don't know if you've seen the video um, in YouTube called Time Lapse of the Future. It's a 30-minute video, amazing visuals, great music. They show how what happens in the future, like billions of years in the future, right? So they go like one by one. The Earth gets cold, Earth disappears, planets disappear, the sun disappears, Milky Ways, galaxies, black holes, one by one, and they finally it's just darkness and just the pockets of energy. Life is meaningless. Time is meaningless. Um, such a bleak view of the future. But as Christians, we don't believe that. We don't believe that life is just spinning out of control into like an end. No one knows what's going to happen. We don't believe that. We believe God is orchestrating time. We believe God is orchestrating history towards a future, towards a future glorious day there will be an ending to the history. And Paul writes that even the whole creation groans and awaits for that day. Okay? What day is that? Bible talks about it. It calls the second coming of Jesus Christ. Right? It's called parousia, the coming of Christ again. That's when the history ends. That's when everything will be renewed completely. That's when there will be no more sorrow, no more suffering, because there will be no more sin. So this is the basis of our Christian hope. So this event will mark the beginning of the end times. Okay? So when Jesus comes for the second time, the history ends, right? So Paul, uh, the, the reason I, I just, it sounds basic, the reason I want to point it out is that uh, some Christians don't really think about it as much. They live, maybe they believe that, but they live as if it's not happening anymore. 
right? And Paul puts it in another way. It says that if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone else. If we believe in Christ just for this life, to have a good life here, to figure out things here, we are more to be pitied than anybody else. And he talks about the resurrection later after dying, after living with Jesus forever. If that is not true, he says our whole belief system, our faith, our preaching is in vain. Okay? So I just want to put it into perspective of how important this is, is that our hope in Christ goes outside this life. It doesn't just stop within this sphere of life when we die. So when we say end times, we are talking about what scripture is talking about the events and the event of the second coming of Jesus. It's events surrounding it before and after. So it's natural for us to think about end times, especially during a time like this, right? There are world wars everywhere. There's pandemic in the last few years. You have natural disasters. If you're following the news, you can see that the world is not going to a better place. It's going worse as we look at the newspaper. And especially when there are movements in the Middle East, Christians all around the world are particularly pay more attention from the Christian community because the biblical prophecies around Israel and around the neighboring nations of Israel. So we always get like, okay, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? So during these times, there is a preoccupation of what we call the eschatology. There is an overemphasis on futurism. There's an overemphasis on connecting the events, the prophecies, the calculations, the numbers, 666, 70 years of Daniel, Ezekiel 28, 38. They connect everything and they try to predict the second coming of Jesus. It's almost like an intellectual exercise church is doing these days, a lot of churches, with no spiritual edification whatsoever. The other day I got an email saying judgment day is here and it said uh, Jesus is coming back. I'm like, yes, of course. And it says in June 2033. And, and you would think, my first reaction would be like, whoa, we only have 10 years. No, my first reaction is, we got 10 years. I have 10 years to get my act together. There's no hurry right now. That's why God never gives you a timeline. In second century, the Romans predicted Jesus would come back on 1000 AD. That's like a round number. They, they, before they predicted 500 AD. He did not come back. 500 AD, he did not come back on 1000 Later, they predicted 1284, and then 1890, and then 1910, 1993, 2000, 2011, 2012. Who, 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 was, who remember 2012? They said the world's going to end. We're all about it. I'm, I'm, I'm from India at See, we, I can keep going, but none of these prophecies came true. None of these predictions came true. None of these calculations proved to be correct. And I can confidently say any of the predictions, any of the calculations that you will hear in the future about when Jesus is coming will be 
untrue, will be false. Do you know why? Because Jesus said in Matthew 24, but about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. He said to them, it is not for you to know the dates or times the Father has set by his own authority. Even the Son of Man doesn't know at the time. Even the angels of heaven doesn't know. I'm sure your calculations won't work. These are veiled for a reason. These are hidden for a reason. So if you're on this side of overemphasizing the end time discussions with maps and charts and whatnot, I, I want to tell you with love, I know you, you, you want to be intellectual, you want to be honest with the scriptures, but I want to tell you in love that that is not the primary purpose of eschatology. That's not the primary purpose of Bible, giving you these events so that you can predict what's happening in the future. Scriptures are not given to us for speculation or creating debate topics. That's actually, a lot of people use that for. But if you are on this side, thinking, oh, I know that, those people. That's why I never read Revelation. I don't even know where there is in the Bible. It's too much for me. It's too much symbolism. I, I, I don't read these things. Well, I'm not going to let you off the hook as well, okay? That's not, that's not encouraging. Um, if, you, if you think it's an unimportant topic, do you know who spoke about the end, the end times and judgment more than anybody in the Bible? It was Jesus. It was Jesus who spoke more. So it's important for you to listen. And it's a part of the scriptures that was given to us for us to study and to learn from the Bible. So what is the primary purpose of eschatology? The primary purpose of eschatology is for the edification of the church. It's for the edification of us. It is not for us to find the day when it is coming, but when the day finds us, we are prepared to meet it. It is not for us to find the day, but when the day finds us, we should be prepared to meet Jesus. So these passages, just like the rest of the scriptures, are given to us as warnings, as encouragement, as assurance to instill hope in us, to instill confidence in the life of believers. And that's how, and that's why, we are going to look into the study of end times for the next three weeks, okay? Just like the rest of the scriptures, we're going to study it. We are not going to take maps, we are not going to take newspapers and try to connect these things. So today we are going to look at one of the final teachings of Jesus before he went to the cross, right? So Matthew 24, 25, they call it one of the center of the second coming discussions, right? So let's turn our attention to Matthew chapter 24, starting from verse 36. I'm going to ask uh, Jade to read for me, please. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the sun, but only the Father, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. 
That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with the handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day our Lord will come. All right, thank you. So right after Jesus said, uh, we read that no one knows when this is going to happen. And then he, he goes on and gives us four illustrations to support the theme of his unexpected return. Okay, so the first theme, uh, Yasmin, if you go to the slide before, the first theme he opens up saying, do you remember the story of Noah? Do you remember what happened at the time of Noah? So if you're not familiar with the story of Noah, so Noah was one of the stories back in the time of Genesis. He was living there. Uh, and during this time, the scripture says, the community or the world has become extremely corrupt and there was injustice and they were violent with each other. And God was going to bring judgment on them for their, for their uh, unrighteousness, right? So God asked Noah to build, build this ark. And he said, I'm going to bring the flood. I'm going to bring open the gates of heaven. I'm going to bring the waters down. I'm going to wipe this place out, right? So Bible said Noah was preaching to the people around them for 120 years almost. So he was telling them to repent from their ways. He was telling them to change their ways so that God can save them. And the scripture said they were eating and drinking and marrying until the flood came and took them away. See, they did not expect an end to their affairs. They did not accept there's something that's going to come that's going to stop it. They think life is going to keep going on. All you got to worry about is enjoying life and just enjoy your day the fullest and not thinking there will be an end. See, there's nothing wrong with these activities. Drinking with limit. Eating with limit. And enjoying. But they carried on with their lives of enjoyment and pleasure without thinking about the Creator. Without thinking about their call to righteousness. And they thought that's the goal of their life. They, my goal of my life for them is just to live, eat, drink, and enjoy. There's a lot of songs that say that. They didn't consider changing their notoriously sinful lifestyle because their goal was met and they didn't have to answer anyone. At least that's what they thought. Until God brought judgment on them. And even in the world today, we see so much violence, we see so much unrighteousness, we see so much corruption, and it's hard for most people to realize the need for God. Forget about talking about God. They don't even think about they need God. I'm going to paraphrase C.S. Lewis. He said, there's a danger that money can bring. There's a danger that our culture brought with a good lifestyle, with our, our, our standard of living as raised, it brought a danger that now we are all smart, we are intelligent, we have been provided, we have health, health insurance, we have, um, well, Portuguese, I don't know how that health system works, I don't know if they even work, but they do have something, right? You're not thinking about the worst, you're always being provided around what you need, you are satisfied with your moral 
standards. You are not like other people. You are not the worst. So with these natural kind of goodness, with these natural kinds of comfort that we have right now today, it's hard for make people recognize the need for Christ. For their physical life, for their spiritual life. But until that one day, when their natural goodness drops them, when their self-satisfaction is shattered, and that's when they can say like, whoa, I need something more that is not being taken away from me. And, and, and this, is, this is why Jesus said, in, in other words, said, it is hard for the rich to enter the kingdom. It's not just rich in money. It's, it's, it's for people who doesn't have a need. For people who doesn't see that they need Christ. That they were eating and drinking and just enjoying life. And Jesus uses this illustration in particular when he talks about the end times. He's saying that, remember that time when they were all doing those things? And that's how it's happening right now. But remember, you will stand before the throne one day. Because I am coming soon. And he finishes, he says, therefore, keep watch. Therefore, be alert. Therefore, repent from your sins. Don't continue to live the way like there's no end. And Jesus builds up this hope in the second illustration. The second illustration, he said, there will be two men in the field, there will be two women in the, in, the, in the workplace, and one will be gone, one will be left, one is taken away. Uh, people usually use this to bring up their rapture scenario, like suddenly 10 people will be gone from this congregation. Um, we'll talk about it later, but this passage is not talking about it, right? This passage, if you, uh, Yasmin, if you go back before, it says, um, Noah entered the ark and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them away, right? That's a bad connotation, right? They, it took them away. Go to the next one. And it said here, two, two men and one will be taken away. Right? And people usually use that as taken to heaven. Well, if you follow the text, taken is actually in a bad light. Right? But we'll discuss, we'll have a Bible study on Wednesdays if you want to talk more. Um, but what Jesus is telling here is it's going to be unexpected. It's going to be a time where you will be at work, you will be working, you will go about your life. And, and for me, this is more relatable. Because I'm not the person who eats and drinks and parties as much. But this is more relatable. I, I can see myself in a workplace. I can see myself thinking about work a lot. And, um, and this week hasn't been one of the greatest weeks for me. I was thinking about a lot of things that's going to come up. Things were running in my mind. I was preoccupied by my worries. And I had to get right with God before I could start working on the sermon. Because my priorities shifted because of my worries. The worries of my everyday life, the worries of my workplace, the worries of my future, priorities shifted because of it. And, and we are living in a culture that glorifies work and productivity. It's all about work. It's all about how much you got done. It's all about the checklist that makes you happy. How many people 
had checklist like most of them how many people finish a finish a task and then you forgot to put in the checklist so you write it again and then cancel it i do it yeah makes me so happy that i had one cancelled and i meet with a lot of people during the week um we talk about life for for a shepherding and most people share the same concern about work about studies about apartments about daily activities vacation plans christmas plans decisions to make things to come and i fully understand these things are absolutely important and i am one of them too and i i worry about it as well and we are living in this world we are the citizens of this world so we have things to worry but do you know that you also have another citizenship no philippians 3 verse 20 but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there the lord jesus christ who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body do you know you are a citizen of heaven do you have a lifestyle that reflects that we have dual citizenship we are living here but we also have citizenship in heaven see i am a citizen from india and and jodey's here is a citizen from south africa and other pastoral team we in our church you have pedro gabi and ruben they are citizens of portugal so we often talk about traveling and for them it's super easy to travel and for me and jodey if you want to go to another country i have to apply for a visa like 6 months ago i have to get an interview i have to produce my documents i have to show my bank statement go through a lie detector test that that was an exaggeration but 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 you know that was not easy for my passport i have to go through a lot of things but but gabby tells me she applies passports or visas within hours she just does an online application and it's done because portugal is one of the strongest passports in the world and imagine if gabby is holding this portuguese passport and then she's panicking all the time to travel to spain how would you feel bro do you even know what you're holding do you even know where you are from you can travel to 188 countries i googled that without a visa and and spain is like european union what is wrong with you see most christians panic at life without knowing the power of their passport they're holding your citizenship is in heaven and don't lose your mind over earthly things this verse says god is going to transform you jesus is going to transform you everything under his control and bring everything under his control one day do you wait on him to do that are you live in this hope that this is going to happen because that's your citizenship that's where you belong i heard people say i i i lost couple of years of my studies because i messed up on this course now i missed an opportunity to graduate with my friends now or 
you missed an opportunity to study before. Now you are you lost years. I'm never catching up. That might be an unfortunate for this world. Yes, feel sorry. But remember, you have an eternity to learn every skill you ever wish to learn. And I'm going to play piano like church one day. I'm telling you, just wait for me on the other side. You say, well, I didn't get married by the age of 30. I, I, I wish I could. My friends are married. They have kids. Well, it might sound bad for this world. Oh, but you will have the, all the pleasures that your mind can ever imagine, that you, can, you, are, you can't even fathom at God's right hand one day. Oh, my, my sister got into an accident. She lost her teenage years. I, I wish that wouldn't happen. I wish now she can't have a normal life. Oh, that could be an unfortunate, but she's going to have an eternity to live life to the fullest than anybody ever could have done in this world today. Last Friday, my, my fiance's auntie passed away two days ago. They were fighting cancer for a couple of years. The family is still mourning. I met her once, and we had a very uh, short conversation. Actually, I, I met, met her during the time when the family is saying goodbye, and I met her for the first time. She was very sweet, but I know I'm going to see her again very soon, and we will get to know each other more. We will spend eternity together without pain, suffering, or any disease. Know the power of your passport you are holding that Christ earned for you. You have something invaluable. Use it every day to live your life today. It's not just a hopeful waiting. Play out your fears today. Play out your sufferings today. No pain, no loss, nothing that you think you might have missed in your life will ever diminish the hope that you have in Christ. See, Paul couldn't even put this in words like what is going to happen. He says, writes to the church in Corinthians, he said, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Live in this light of this truth. Live in the light of eternity. Your king is coming and he's going to put everything to right. Everything that have been, you've been wronged, everything that you missed out, everything that you suffered the loss and pain, everything will be put to right more than you can imagine. And let this motivate you. Let this hope motivate you to live life to the fullest today. Let this hope bring you as you live your normal life like everybody else, as you live here, see, since we are still in this world, you set your minds on things above. And that's how we look, look about end times. It's not about destruction of the world. It's God is going to put everything to right. And we're going to be together once more time. And Jesus goes to the next illustration as he finishes that. He goes to illustration where he says, I'm going to come like a thief who comes at night. Okay. Whoa, Jesus is a thief? No. Uh, illustration, okay? Analogies. So Jesus is using an analogy that he said that 
I'm going to come at a time that you don't expect. And this is why I said, and, and here in, in uh, chapter four, uh, verse 44, it says, you also must be ready all the time for the Son of Man will come when least expected. See, this, this is why I said, um, Jesus clearly implying that his coming was hidden. His, there's no foreknowledge of when he would come. You, you can't guess it. You, you really can't guess it. You can pretty much confidently tell that to people that if someone guesses it, you can say, that's not right. So now that he said that, he's saying, now you must be ready all the time. Jesus is calling his disciples in extension to us to have an attitude of readiness to go, to keep your God up high and to prepare to meet him. And Paul writes this in Romans when he's, you know, com brings this everything into close in chapter 13. He says, this is all the more urgent for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up for our salvation is nearer now than we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will be soon here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Clothe yourself with the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about the ways to indulge your evil desires. And Paul uses this term a lot in, in Ephesians 4. He said, put on, put off. Put off your old desires, put off your old self, and put on the new self. And here it says, clothe yourself with the presence of our Lord Jesus. In other translation, it says, clothe yourself with Jesus. Do we clothe ourselves with Jesus? Do we put on the new nature that God is making us to be? See, this is a conscious decision because he didn't say it comes to you naturally because it clearly gives us an instruction. You put on. Clothe yourself with Christ. It's a conscious decision you make every day either to put on Christ or not. Either you do what pleases God or not. Either you submit to Him or not. And here it's even he contrasting that with clothe yourself with Christ and don't let yourself think about the ways to indulge your evil desires. It's like opposites. You either clothe yourself with Christ or you're going to think about the ways to commit sin or to satisfy yourself or your needs. And Paul is encouraging the church here, do this. You know why? This is urgent because the time is running out. And it's even more running out now. The day is nearer than you think. You with me so far? I see very serious faces, so I don't know. Everyone's awake? All right. So you're probably, if you're like me, you're thinking, well, Dina, that was 2,000 years ago. He still hasn't arrived. I believe in Jesus. He died for my sins. I believe he's coming. We don't know when. We must be ready. I got it. But he's not coming tonight, is he? I mean, I promise I will repent as soon as I can. I will repent maybe tomorrow. 
that's only a few more days. He's not going to come, is he? Well, my friends, the final illustration for you. See, remember Jesus is giving analogies of the analogy to address different things. So it, it goes deep into our heart so we understand. Here goes the final analogy. Should I? A faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth. The master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. But what if the servant is evil and thinks, my master won't be back for a while, and he begins beating the other servants, parting and getting drunk? The master will return unannounced and unexpected, and he will cut the servant to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Thank you. Very straightforward passage. Jesus is not pulling any punches there. He's just giving it all. Um, if you read the chapter 25, this is very similar to the parable of ten virgins, parable of the talents, parable of the sheep and goats. So let me summarize for you, right? So, so the master is going away and he's giving his servant the control. He's giving some task. He's making sure he's taking care of other people. He's giving them money. He's giving them gifts, all the things he needs to take care of others. So if the servant thinks my master is not coming back anytime soon, and it literally says, my master won't be back for a while, so I have time. There's no hurry. So I will do whatever I want. I abuse my power, and then I, I take advantage of people around me. I spend my money and gifts and talents. Everything that you have is from the Father above, right? And you take all this, and you just party, get drunk. And during this time, I was supposed to taking care of my household or managing or watching God. And I'm hoping like, hey, hopefully I'll find out before he comes back, like a day before, and then I will fix everything. I'll quickly clean up my life. Jesus says the master will come back unannounced and unexpected, and you will be caught. The verse even says, even before it happens, the verse questions this master and it says, if the servant is evil, and he thinks a certain way. If you say Jesus is not coming back tonight so I can repent later and I'm going to continue in my sinful life, with all the love in the world, I'm going to ask you to look deep in your heart and ask yourself honestly, do you believe in Christ? As odd as it may sound, a true believing heart will not postpone repentance. Y yes, you may find it difficult to break that habit. I I've been there. Y you may find it difficult to give up the desire. You may find it difficult to forgive that person or submit to God completely. And I understand it's a journey that you walk together with your fellow believers as the Holy Spirit brings and conforms the image of Christ in us. All may be true, all is true, but a true believing heart will start taking that path, will start walking towards it, will start walking towards forgiveness, towards reconciliation, towards holiness, and towards submission to God.
you wouldn't say, I'm going to delay it because Jesus is not coming back anytime soon. Then you're not probably repentant. Then you're not probably believer. See, I'm, I'm not saying that you are worthy of a good servant by what you do. Absolutely not. It's completely what Christ did for us at the cross. That's what we are called worthy. So my question is, now that we know this truth that Christ did for us in the cross, how is your relationship with this person? Do you know this person? Do you believe in this person? John, John the Baptist said in Matthew, in first two chapters, he said, you should produce the fruit keeping up with your repentance. Do you have a fruit of repentance? See, judgment is not a bad word. We, the church might, might have abused it a lot before. But it's not a bad word. It is something a loving father gives us a warning. Gives us like, hey, don't touch the stove; It's going to burn. Don't go into the streets. There's cars coming. It can come anytime. Stop running and figuring out, hopefully I won't get hit by a car. Don't do that. And the Father is saying, don't continue your life living in unbelief. Don't continue your life living in sin, consciously thinking like one day maybe I won't get caught. No, it is going to consume you and it's going to hurt you. Jonathan Edwards, in one of his resolution book, he wrote some resolutions about himself. And he said, I would never do anything which I would be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. I would, next one, I would never do anything which I would be afraid to do if it were the last hour before I hear the last trumpet. He's saying, we have to live a life expected to meet Jesus in the next hour. You wouldn't do anything different. Are you ready to meet Jesus, church? Luisius. So if not, what, what are you waiting for? He's calling us today, right now, and he's, he's promising to give you rest. He's promised, promising to give rest for your souls. Because one day we are all going to stand. When things go down, next week we're going to talk about more details that you might be more interested in. But when that day comes, we're all going to give account of everything we have done. There's no running away from it. But you know what's fun? There's a parallel passage I'm going to show you, the Matthew 24, the same parable uh, Jesus said. Luke wrote it as well, and he gives another angle. He adds more detail to it. So in Luke chapter 12, verse 37, he said, It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly I tell you, he will dress himself to serve will have them recline on the table and he will come and wait on them. Can you imagine that? The king of the universe, the God who created everything with one word, the omnipotent God, he not just accepts you in his kingdom, he's not just giving you an, 
another renewed whole new life he's saying this king will dress himself like a servant he will dress himself to serve and he will have you and me recline on the table and ask you to just kick back and relax and he will come and wait on them isn't that amazing obviously it's not literal literal but he's there to serve you he was there to bring you all the things you need in life he's there to bring all the pleasures you need in life as we faithfully waited for our king being watchful being alert keeping our eyes on internal things drawing near to god with a sincere heart leaving our sins behind and holding on to our faith until the end and this king will find us acceptable in christ and he will serve and wait on us one day and i'm going to invite jamil and the worship team up um i i remember the story uh, pedro pedro luz uh, one of our pastors he tells me about his grandpa he's almost 90 plus and when pedro luz was in college he used to stay at her grandpa and grandma's place and then he goes to college from there and he told me still that one of his inspiration to go to be a missionary is because of his grandpa and then i ask him why what does he do and he said he lives in expectancy that jesus is coming tomorrow every morning he gets up he is a student at the time and he sees his grandpa and grandma reading the bible in the morning first thing this couple lived in expectancy to meet jesus anytime church when christ comes back you you can forget the picture of the lowly major and singing baby songs to baby jesus that ain't going to happen anymore he's going to come as a triumphant king he will be exalted he's going to come riding on the clouds with great power and glory you can't even keep your eyes on him it's so glorious he's going to be accompanied by angels and he's going to sit on this throne and he's going to judge all the world but you know we have a glorious hope as believers in Christ we have no condemnation on that day romans 8:1 those who are in Christ Jesus have no condemnation christ bore our punishment of sin so that you and i can become righteousness of god we are the bride of christ this church of christ is his bride that jesus earned by giving his life church let's hold on this truth so dear to our heart believe in the finished work of christ so dear to our heart that we are holding it as a treasure every day every morning and being watchful being waiting being expectant for the return of our king even if it's before our service ends let's be ready to meet jesus let's be ready to meet him face to face 
Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, thank you for this morning, God. God, as we come to you, God, we are honest that we, we haven't been very prepared. We haven't been turning away from sin. We haven't been living a life worthy of your calling. We were relaxed, we were kicked kicked back, and we we didn't live in expectancy. God, we want to ask you this morning, would you forgive us, Father? God, we don't want to be like a generation during Noah that just kept on living, never turning back to you, like the time, like time never ends. God, we want to be with you forever. Let our life change today. Help us to change from our sinful ways. Help us to turn to you. Help us to wait on you. Help us to be alert. Help us to put on Christ every day. Help us to be a community that is ready and watchful. God, more than that, help us to be a community that is hopeful. Help us to be a community that encourages each other with the hope. The glorious hope of your coming. The glorious hope that we will be with you forever. God, as we go through difficulties in life, as we struggle, God, help us keep your eyes on you. Help us keep your eyes on the prize. God, walk with us. Be with us. Guide us. Hold us. Mold us. Change us. 